so hefty in fact that we are going to do a two-parter on this one uh let's talk about beef so because we are going to do this in two parts uh today we're mostly going to focus on the quote-unquote origin of cattle it feels weird to refer to cows as having an origin, but basically how we got from, you know, when we first started eating cows to where we are today. So most of today is just going to be um, kind of ancient history, and then next week we'll kind of get into where we are in the modern time. So, uh Cows were first domesticated about 10,500 years ago. History shows that um, there are three separate times and places that cows were domesticated. Like, this is just happening on their own, kind of all around the same time. Uh, my research showed, like, a bunch of different places uh, but with lots of different names, but it seems to boil down to... Africa, a place called the Levant, which is central Anatolia uh, to modern-day Turkey, uh, and the Fertile Crescent, which is modern-day Middle East, as well as the Indus Valley, which is modern-day Pakistan. Today's cattle were descended from an animal called an auroch. Um, The aurochs made it all over the world. Right, So they were already in a great deal of the world being domesticated in such a vast majority of places. Like, yeah, they're like, oh, it's three places, but Central Anatolia, the entire Middle East, Pakistan, and Africa as well, um, those are a vast, that covers like a vast land stretch. Um, The connection to Africa is relatively recent in terms of us being able to trace the DNA of cattle back there. So uh, where exactly hasn't been pinned down yet, unfortunately. Um, But we'll get there. Science is amazing. So um, it's not really easy to say like, oh, you know, like this group of people brought it to another group of people. It feels kind of like they were just always there. Um, Aurochs were, uh, even before domestication, people were eating their meat uh, by hunting them, using their uh, skin for leather, for coverings, uh, clothes, blankets, uh, various utilities, and for food, the meat and the milk. Um, I'm not sure if there are any cheese products. If there were... We'll come back to that in the cheese episode. So, um, one thing I do want to mention is that bison and yaks are both different animals. So today there are some cow-bison hybrids, but this is a quote-unquote relatively recent 
uh, when we talk about the domestication of cattle, we are not referring to bison. Although, uh, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. Slide into my Insta DMs. If you want to know more about bison, uh, you know, maybe we can uh, touch on that in our beef part two. So, what is this word, this word beef, where does it come from, and why do we call cows cows, and why do we refer to the meat as beef? Well, my friends, let me take you to a bunch of different conquests and invasions. So, um, after the formation of what we kind of consider today England, but even then it wasn't called England, it was called Anglo Saxia. I literally just made that up. I probably should have looked into what it was called. But um, when the Norman, the French Norman rulers conquered modern day England, uh, they said, hey, French is better than Anglo Saxon. We won't be speaking that filth here and continue to use their own language to converse and to refer to different things. At this point in time, um, beef has made it to England um, and is thriving there. Um, however, the native peoples of England at the time, um, they spoke Anglo-Saxon. They weren't really interested in learning French, you know, the language of the people that have come down to um, take away your your autonomy. And at that time, uh, the French were perfectly fine with that. They didn't really want to mingle with the Anglo-Saxon people. They kind of just wanted to exist in the lands and be paid tribute to. So the Anglo-Saxon people continued to refer to the animals by the names that they had always called them. So that's why you have these two different names with these two different uh, cognate roots. So, beef. From the Latin, bos. Um, that's how we get bovine from the plural, bosus. So, even th that gets further uh, reduced down into other words. Both becomes booth. Now my French is terrible. I do apologize. I tried to look at this pronunciation as best I could. Please bear with me. Um, which is old French. And that's became biff, which is modern French. Um, so the French, uh, you know, kept their, their Latin languages to refer to the meat of the animal. They weren't really uh, handling animals. They really only had contact with cows as the form of meat for eating. Uh, so they continued to refer to it um, by the Latin cognate name. Now, the Anglo-Saxon people spoke a Germanic language. And so that their word for the animal descended from that. So if yats, um, which that or ku, which is Anglo-Saxon for cow, uh, plural of ku is kai, uh, this evolved into cow, that's with a u, in old, in 
old Middle English. I never quite understood what was what. We'll say Middle English. That's a lot of what my research showed it as. And I don't want to call it a language it's not. Or a cognate it's not. Uh, but anyway, that evolved into cow today in the modern. But you are still thinking, hey, cow is cow and beef is beef. That's cool. How do we refer to one animal by two different words? Well, because the French, um, the Norman French didn't use Anglo-Saxon words. They continue to refer to beef uh, as the meat because that's the only thing they had in contact with and the Anglo-Saxon people could not afford to eat the meat of their cows. Um, so they referred to really the live animal because that's what they have the most contact with. And it kind of stayed separate for years to the point where that tradition has kind of stayed. And it comes across many other animals as well that I'm sure we'll touch on throughout the life of this podcast. Uh, pig and pork, deer and venison, sheep and mutton, chicken and poultry, uh, also goat and chevon. Although uh, my research did show this is not as popular. I think we've all seen chevon in Trader Joe's. Be like, mm, should I be adventurous in this cheese? Let me enlighten you, friend. It's goat cheese. You may want to take that road, and you may not, but now you know what you're getting into. So, we've gotten a little bit of our heart ourselves. We went from cavemen to um, Vikings, and now we're going to bring it back a little bit to cavemen, and then proceed once again up to Viking. Um... Cows, oryx, cattle, they've been a part of society, like I said, for as long as people have been around. Um, before people were eating their meat, uh, they were using them for milk. Uh, they were, had significant religious... They, whew, they had some religious significance across um, several different religions, and that... Uh, went up uh, until today. There are still religions that um, honor and venerate cattle. Cattle. Um, so again, people have been eating the meat of cows forever. It's not quite clear when exactly this popularity began to fall off. And um, it did fall off for a long time. It's only in modern recent history that we've begun to uh, up our consumption of beef again. Um, but one theory is that it might be because people stopped living in large communities where food and labor was shared. Uh, you know, a cow produces a lot of meat that can be uh, used to feed many people all at once, you know, and if you're feeding a ton of people, you're not super worried about if it's going to go bad, so refrigeration is not as much of an issue, um, just because it's not going to stick around long enough for you to be too worried, and again, our definition today of too worried about the rancidness of, of meat and their definition are vastly different, um, Back to the Norman French kings, um, you know, they didn't eat a lot of beef. Granted, they were the only ones that could really afford to eat it 
But even then, they didn't really eat a lot. They preferred smaller animals. Again, back to that thing of there's not enough people to feed uh, the meat to. You don't want all of it to go bad. You don't want to be wasteful. Um, but also just practically you're wasting money. Uh, if you're purchase if you're butchering an entire cow, you've paid for the whole cow, and you're not going to eat all of it. Um, the refrigeration wasn't there, uh, so they tended to eat smaller animals such as sheep, pigs, um, and some exotic animals such as guinea fowl. And I was I saw one place mentioned ostrich, but that's the only place I saw that, so that's where we'll leave that. Um, however, still at the same time as the Norman French kings, uh, Vikings were still pretty much eating meat uh, of cows because they were still living in large communal groups and it's still practical for them to slaughter an entire animal and not waste any of it. Um, one thing we're not going to get into too much is that, uh, at least this episode, is that thing of eating everything of what you've butchered. So, um, a lot of heart delicacies, kidney delicacies came, uh, began in this time and have kind of evolved to what we have today. Um, as you get up into the industrial, pre-industrial revolutions, the poor still aren't really able to eat a lot of beef, but what they are eating is a lot of offal or awful I've seen it pronounced several ways. Um, English is weird, y'all. Uh, but ba- basically awful or anything inside the cow, loosely. Because this also includes uh, delicacies such as oxtail and uh, the hoof of the cow referred to in many places by different names. Uh, and we don't think of the tail or the hooves as being inside, but they are considered awful meat. Um, we'll get into a little bit of the etymology of awful, but it does not mean terrible. So, it's thought that perhaps around the Industrial Revolution, that's the really, uh, the point at which beef became more popular, because, um, people weren't cooking at home as much. And you might be saying, well, we don't have faster restaurants, that's much, much later. This is true. However, um... You have the rise of the factory worker. This person who is working very long hours uh, it will not have time to go home and come back, uh, is hungry, and also may not have a place to put any sort of prepared food, right? In addition, you have a higher number of people who are getting married later, later being relative. Uh, remember, uh we get married later and later as we go on uh, as humanity. Um, married later in the Industrial Revolution made that like 16 or 17 instead of 14, you know. Uh, but still, uh, when you begin working at 6 uh, and you leave your home at, I don't know, like 14, you don't have time to cook for yourself. Anyway... Vendored foods, street vendors, began to come up in popularity. And street vendors loved to purchase uh, cows for meat because their customers would consume them in a matter of days. Now, refrigeration had gotten a little bit better by this time. It still wasn't what it is today. Uh, and either way, the the vendor of a pie shop or a meat shop 
uh, didn't have to worry about the, the meat going rancid and sickening his customers because people were eating it so quickly. Um, and they were eating uh, all of it. We'll get into some recipes for steak and kidney pie. That comes back to those days of of the street vendors using every part of the meat that they could to get the the most amount for the money. And at that time, beef was relatively a cheap meat to be eating. Um, around that time as well, beef began to be seen as this healthful food. Uh, you know, uh, it was good to build strength to keep up your immune system. Uh, I did not, I don't have a Sawbones episode for you to reference this time, guys. Um, but I also, as well, did not get too deeply into the use of uh, meat or of cows, beef, uh, for health purposes, just because that's not what we're into here. Uh, we'll let other better researchers on that on that side do that work. Um, but going anyway, going back to beef as a tonic. Uh, there's a a bunch of beef tonics and beef teas. I think beef tea is something that has stuck around until this day. It's basically what we now would call a bone broth, um, which is said to bolster the immune system and keep workers strong. Uh, Throughout history, there was this uh, connotation of of cows and strength. Um, Even in terms of uh, war war efforts, propaganda efforts, and raising money for the war, England had, uh, I believe his name was Johnny Bull, you know, strong and, and willing and able to do whatever was necessary for his country to survive. Beef products later made it out uh, into the front in the form of tin cans, uh, corned beef uh, in in that manner, canned corned beef uh, became popular. Now, corn, I always thought was like, oh, I don't know, I guess I never really thought about it. <laughs> but uh found out corn refers to uh, Middle English, again, uh, anything round and grain-like used to be called a corn. Um, so it refers to the kind of salt used to cure that meat. Again, we're not going to get into curing too much this episode. That's something we're going to touch on next episode. So I guess this is going to turn out to be kind of like a little mini episode, an introduction to the main one, which is cool if it's cool with you guys, because next week is going to be a little long. I digress. Um, but beef has just grown exponentially in in popularity. Now... How did it get from Europe to the Americas? Well, here we are again with Christopher Columbus. Um, The Spanish, when they showed up here, uh, brought their animals with them, including cows. Also pigs, um, and I believe sheep. I cannot confirm that last one, but definitely cows. Uh, they were left to kind of roam around and and breed and became a large population. Uh, worked themselves into the American diet. The Portuguese brought it to South America, and uh, it 
took a while uh, to the day now where Argentina and the United States are a couple of the largest exporters of cows for beef. Um, it's kind of wild when you think about it. Um, but if you think about kind of the culture, it seems like, yes, that we're very comfortable with that, you know. We all remember cowboys uh, and western films, you know, and we have the rancheros in Argentina and Brazil, uh, Brazilian steakhouses, you know, uh, this excellence of product, this deliciousness of the product they produce is clear. And so it makes sense that it, it would be because they specialized in producing this amazing, delicious meat for so long. However, as we'll get into next week, it does have some repercussions at times. Unnecessary, uh, if you think about it, but also inevitable, once you realize. Was not quite able to find out how beef made it to Australia and New Zealand. Um, from what I can tell, it came the same way uh, that it arrived in the Americas. People showed up on ships with cows, and it was so. Um, New Zealand and Australia also some of the largest exporters of cows for beef today. New Zealand particularly known for free-range cattle. And I know we have a lot of buzzwords now. Free-range, grass-fed versus grain-fed. We're just going to touch on that a tad before we close up for today. So... Grain-fed refers to the process of uh, placing your cattle in a warehouse and feeding them grain in a trough. These cows don't get a lot of exercise um, because they don't want them... They want the fat to build up. They want the fat to create flavor in the meat later on so they don't get a lot of exercise. Now... I always thought, oh, grass-fed means they're roaming around, eating grass, getting exercise. Not necessarily true. Um, some grass-fed cows are still lot-fed. Lot-feeding referring to the putting cows in one area, not allowing them to move and feeding them as necessary. Also, because they're not really moving around and they're in a large confined area for so long, antibiotics become necessary because... You don't want them to get sick. Sickness spreads quickly in small, compact areas. Um, now, free-range automatically implies grass-fed, unless I learn differently, but from what I can tell, free-range automatically implies grass-fed. Uh, and this is that animal that you're thinking of, when, at least when I was thinking grass-fed, is in the fields, roaming around, grazing as they pleased. So, um... How we got to wanting this uh, is much deeper than we could do in our short time here today. Let's jump into our recipe for the week. So, this recipe is for beef stew. 
Uh, sometimes I call it Christmas stew, but uh, I tend to eat it around Christmas, which is why I call that uh, Christmas stew. But honestly, it's just beef stew. Um, anytime I make a stew, this is the recipe that I use. Um, this recipe is one of my own this week. Uh, it's a amalgamation of things I tried and tested and came up with myself and family secrets. Let's get down to this. This meal makes four servings. You'll need one pound of beef stew meat cubed, one teaspoon of salt, quarter cup of flour, one teaspoon of dried oregano, one teaspoon dried parsley, quarter cup fresh spinach, fourth teaspoon butter, quarter cup red wine, half cup water, one potato cubed, three scallions or green onions diced, three carrots cubed, half a Granny Smith apple diced, half a clove of garlic finely diced. Now if you love garlic as much as I do, honestly put as much as you like in here. It's going to be this delicious umami that really brings brings out some of those um, stewy feels. I'm sorry guys, I couldn't help it. Um, if you want to sub in like a chuck roast, um, most meat for stews are chuck roasts. Um, feel free, you know, it doesn't have to be just whatever is labeled as stew meat, uh, it could just be, you know, whatever tough roast of, of, uh, tough cut of beef you like. You're going to place the meat, flour, and half a tablespoon, excuse me, half a teaspoon of salt into a bowl or a bag and shake until the meat is well coated. Heat two tablespoons of butter in a skillet and cook the meat until browned evenly. Uh, you're going to place the meat, potatoes, carrot, apple, oregano, parsley, spinach, half a teaspoon of salt, water, and two tablespoons of butter in a crock pot. That's right, friends. This is a set it and forget it recipe. Um, lost my place. I got so excited. In the same skillet, place the scallions, garlic, and saute. Uh, if you would like to deglaze the pot, really get all those beefy, delicious bits from the bottom, add the red wine. Uh, remove from the heat and add all of that saucy deliciousness to the crock pot or slow cooker. Cover the pot, cook it high until the meat is tender approximately two to three hours. You want to stir occasionally to prevent the stew from sticking to the sides and bottom of the pot and add water as needed. This is a small uh, portion serving. It's only going to feed four people. My pot was fairly small, but uh, beef stew does take well to expanding. So if you want to add more be more meat, more potatoes, uh, I would go ahead, uh, you know, double the recipe if you'd like. Uh, if you make this, please do tweet at us at blunderktchnpod or um, 
DM us at Blender Kitchen on Insta. I would love to see how you guys make this recipe your own. Uh, see you next week. Thank you.